You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas, and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode number 203 of the Make It British podcast. So did you get along to our British brand blueprint event last week? If you did, I hope you enjoyed it. We've had some amazing feedback. Our speakers were all wonderful. We had some really interesting discussions on the panels Everything from selling and marketing your British-made brand right through to the uh, real truth about working with UK manufacturers. We even had a UK manufacturer on the panel. It was such good fun. If you didn't manage to catch the event, you can still go to makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash BBB and there you'll be able to find out how you can access the recordings. Okay, so now on to today's episode. I'd originally planned to bring you a solo show today, but you might be able to hear that my voice is still really cro- cro- Oh God, can't even talk. My voice is still really croaky. Maybe because I was talking for two days solid at the event last week, or it might just be because everyone's under the weather right now, aren't they? I'm recording this in November 2021. Pretty much everyone I know is ill, me included. So I thought I would spare you having to listen to me for a whole 20 minutes to half an hour sounding all croaky. And instead, we've got a wonderful interview today, which I did recently when I went up to Leicester. The Make It British team, myself and Michelle, went to visit Mars Knitwear up in Wigston in Leicestershire. And we heard all about how they've pivoted their business from being a manufacturer that supplies all of the big retailers or store groups as they refer to them in this interview. So how they've pivoted from supplying all those big retailers to now becoming much more of a premium knitwear business and in particular how they have launched their own brand. Now Sid and Keith who I'm speaking to here have been in the knitwear industry in the UK for such a long time. It was really wonderful to hear all of their experience and all of their knowledge and to see their their factory in action. And I'm going to pop some photographs of the visit onto the show notes of this podcast as well, along with the video recording of this, which their nephew Yusuf kindly did and recorded whilst we were doing the interview. So pop on over to make it British forward slash 203 and you'll be able to see the video and look at some of the pictures of the Mars Knitwear factory. Okay, I hope you enjoy the interview. Oh, hang on. Before we get to the interview, I've just heard from Yusuf at Mars Knitwear that they're going to give our podcast listeners a special 15% off all of the knitwear on their website. So if you go to marsknitwear.com and you use the code Make It British Podcast, that's all one word, Make It British Podcast, you'll get 15% off all of their amazing knitwear. What's not to like? 
Keith, Sid, amazing factory. Thank you very much for the tour. You're welcome. So let's tell everyone all about Mars Knitwear. Where did it all begin? How did it all start? Sid, I'll go to you first. Okay. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll go on, tell us, tell us everything. Yeah, how did you start in the knitwear industry? How long ago was that? And when, it, when did it become Mars Knitwear? I'll take you back to when I started on a shop floor worker as a draw threader back in 1974. Okay, so first there, you caught me out. What's a draw threader? All it is, is just you pull threads and you separate the colours. Right. Uh, then I moved on to the knitting. I trained as a knitter. Then I trained as a knit mechanic, quality control. Um, I progressed from there as a head mechanic. Uh, then I progressed from the general manager, then managing director of my own company. So when so, did you sell your own company? I uh, started back in, initially, we looked at 1991. Uh, it's over 30 years now yeah. since Mars Nitre started. Yeah. Um, it all started as I ended up, although my passion was to move forward constantly. Um, once I reached the management, I thought, right, okay, uh, I joined a very small company. I used to work for, firstly, I used to work for a very large company called Mansfield Hosier Mills and Woods And then I joined a very small company uh, and I learned how to run a small company. However, uh, being my background in business for my family, I decided to go and start my own business. Uh, I only wanted to supply the store group Hence, you know, I had to work with all, uh, we work with the latest machinery, which is quite a large investment. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah. So when uh, you say the store groups, you're talking about, when are we talking 80s? So we're talking about people like 90s. Topshop, who we... My first with? customer was Adams. Yes. Did they? Yeah. Newborn. Yeah, baby. Uh, my yeah. first order was to supply newborn, newborn babies cardigans. Um, that followed up with Oasis. Uh, they were the customers. Um, we grew our factory from manufacturing around 200, 250 garments per week to 6,000. Initially, there was just myself, my wife, and three other employees. So when did Keith come on the scene then? Now Keith, as, as we grew, the factory grew bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, our capacity grew and I've known Keith for many, many years as a friend and in his capacity, capacity as a freelance technician, um, there was a lot for me to do, to handle. So. Me and Keith met, um, and Keith had his own uh, company running as a freelance technician, which was too much for him as well. So, so tell us a bit more about your background then, Keith, before you met Sid. Before and I you, met yeah. Sid. Okay. B BS before Sid. Before Sid, okay, fair yeah. enough. <clears throat> I started 
actually in knitwear when I was 14 years. I still going to school. I had a part-time job sweeping the factory floor and getting the tea and, uh, and, the, and the cobs for the, uh, the knitters and stuff. When I became 16, I took an apprenticeship at the company. It's only a small company, but I had an apprenticeship scheme. I did a two-year apprenticeship. I moved from there to another company in London called uh, Pastel Knitwear, very old established factory. And uh, I worked there for 14 years, worked my way up to the uh, factory manager. I started from there to another design company called Ross Joffrey. They used to have a design studio at the top of the King's Road. No. Jean-Charles Carini was the managing oh. director there. They were doing a lot of Japanese stuff, and a lot of special knitwear yeah. for one-offs and stuff like this. And then after that, I got an offer to go come to Leicester to work as a factory manager for a factory. An offer you couldn't refuse? Absolutely. <laughs> offer I couldn't refuse. Come to Leicester, yes, working knitwear. It's a, actually, it's quite strange. I came to Leicester for the interview, and it turns out the chap who's interviewing me lives six miles from me down in London. Oh, okay. Yeah, a bit, a bit strange thing. So it's another London company yeah. that moved up to Leicester. Yeah. I worked for them for about eight years, and I uh, decided I'd work for myself. So I did, me and Sid had seen each other around town and stuff. I was a freelance. But my very first job, my very first number one invoice that I ever made when I had my own business set up was to install Sid's first two machines. Brilliant. I love it. So it was meant yeah, to be it, then. It was meant to be from there. And I've worked for him for a long, long time on and off as freelance basis. But eventually, was it 2010? 10, 2010. 2010, we had a conversation and uh, we got together. And so 2010 took, onwards, took you the, know. Took the because business we, forward from there. Yeah. We moved our company forward where I could concentrate on sales, um, reacting swiftly to customers' demands. Um, and that's what my survival was, mm. on quick response. Um, we are a very large supplier to store group. Um, we were the only UK menswear knitwear supplier to top man. Right. Um, okay, and that was in the 90s. Uh, that was in the 2000s. Okay, right. right. Uh, 2004, when the Christmas jumpers started, we were one of the very early starters on Christmas jumpers. But that's not the sort of product you're doing here that I've seen today, is no. it? So at what point did you decide to go more high-end? And do you want to describe Sid, yeah, the well, type well, of knitwear you do at the moment? Towards 2014-15, we found that Arcadio Group were importing more of the garments. All we became was a trial factory. So yeah. we would do the trials and if they sold very well, especially if they sold a season, and they would move and import abroad. Yeah. Hence, in 2016, we decided, okay, now we're going to change. We're going to go into natural fiber, smaller quantities. Yes, there will be higher price because of the product we would be making, we manufacture, uh, as it will leave a lot. You know, it would lead to a lot of different processes to create a high-end garment. How was that? How did that go down with the rest of Leicester? Because there is um, generally seen that, you know, maybe you go to Scotland for the high-end knitwear and then you'll go to Leicester for more kind of acrylic yarns and higher volume. How do all of how do your other knitwear manufacturers in Leicester, how did that go down? They see us totally different because all, we have always been leaders in our knitwear. I've always been, Keith has always, we, together as a team, we've always been leaders. We always... To do, we do things different. To we, we are not 
uh, in simple words, we're not a sausage factory. <laughs> uh, we don't believe in vast volume. We believe in quality. We want to, f we have passion. We like, we are creators. We like to create new products. You know, we don't like to copy. We're not copies. We're not followers, yeah. in other words. Um, so, and, in the, in the, and that's the passion that keeps us going, even at this foot. And you know, so many years behind us, you know. <laughs> now, I was just going to say, how long have we been doing this? I mean, you know, I'm going to say over 40 years, but we'll leave it to that. Um, but the main thing that has gone, what we are saying is, we, people talk about ethical, ethical audit, yeah, right? People talk about one. ethical audit. Yeah. We, our factory was ethically audited over 16, 18 years ago, before even ethical audit existed in Leicester. We were ethical audit. Our first ethical audit was done for Debenhams many, ah, many years ago. I did my time at Debenhams. Yes. Yeah. And that was many, <laughs> because one of the companies that started ethical, as my background, the company I worked for, Mansiology Mills, were 99% of the production was supplied to Marks and Spencer. And they were totally ethical. So my factory, from, from the day I started my factory, we believed in ethical audit. When we supplied for Adams, the factory was ethically audited. So we are probably one of the very few companies that were ethically audited at very, very early stage. Because M&S, certainly when I started working there in the mid-90s, knitwear, you used to walk in their store and all the front of the store was knitwear. They always put knitwear first, didn't they? And they were known for quality knitwear. Um, it's a real shame that they don't make their knitwear anymore in, in somewhere like Leicester, in, in somewhere here. But then I suppose you guys wouldn't want to necessarily work with someone like uh, Nick no. Marks and Spencer. No, we wouldn't. They, they I mean, I, I know, I know how Marks and Spencer works, you know. They, they dictated, they told you what to do. Even when we were supplying Arcadia and that, we said, look, this is how, this is our factory. It's not your factory. At the end of the day, we are the manufacturers. And we are the one who that takes the risk. The issue with the store group was like, it, was, it became more and more seasonal and you couldn't keep the workforce. Yeah. Um, and you have to maintain the workforce. So that's a really good point then. What do you do, because you are a knitwear factory and a lot of what I've just seen going through here is beautiful wool and merino. What do you do to keep yourselves busy uh, during the summer months? Well, this is where we've spread ourselves on the high end. We have customers abroad and they will order earlier. So that fills up that capacity of during our uh, uh, non-seasonal, yeah. the export. Also, we now have our own brand and we have our own online. This is where we're going to move into a finer gauge and that's how we keep ourselves busy. So that's your uh, nephew. Forward, forward, forward production, yes. So that's your nephew, Yusuf, that is behind the camera at the moment, but who um, does all of the website for you and the marketing and everything, who I'm sure many people that listen to Make It British have seen on a video that he did for you. So he's pushing you forward and That's getting good. you to do things that are maybe out of a traditional knitwear manufacturer's comfort zone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Keith, what do you most enjoy about your job and about running Mars Knitwear? Development. Do you product development? Uh, it's my passion. Technical fabrics, anything to do with development work. It's actually a situation where Sid 
sometimes doesn't show me the samples because I'll get distracted and I'll start on that one instead of finishing the one I'm on. I'm, yeah, passionate, I'm, sure I'm passionate about, about development. I, love I, don't some, I don't mention it because then that gets behind. Um, just to pull you back on the on our online business, mm. it, Yusuf was given, you know, when we had the mask, when we started our first product that went online was mm. mask as a mask brand. Um, Yusuf had 10 days to have it online up and running. Really? Yes, two weeks. That's quite impressive. So you know, yeah. we did it to about a couple of weeks. We, yeah, we, we got the machines in a fortnight because mm. we bought some machines for it and that. And um, you also had the website ready for it. Amazing. And your website looks pretty slick, actually, yes. for a manufacturer. <laughs> I have actually done a podcast episode saying why every manufacturer should have a good website, because yeah. actually a lot of manufacturers don't. But you obviously now you've got your... So I didn't realise your own brand, you only started in 2020 then. Is that right? 20, With 20, the, 20, the new yeah. styles that you're doing. Wow. Though, 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 I don't know what you mean, I'm clear of origin, but... Yeah, but for the for the Mars knitwear brand, brand yeah. the Mars website, yes, is only since twenty twenty. Twenty twenty, yes, it's been live in sales now. Yeah, yeah. Though we had our own Mars, but we were supplying the store groups, and we were separate. we were more B two B. We are now B two C. So how have you found that transition then, as a manufacturer, going from doing just working for other customers and you being behind the scenes, being B two B, to now having to deal with customers different yeah it's difficult it's different and it is difficult uh, in our trade it's never easy so you, you know you, though it's, it's difficult you're dealing with customer response you've got to respond because you're dealing down deal, dealing with a b2c directly to the customer and the customer sometimes doesn't understand and you've got to Make them understand why, you know, they'll ask a question and you have the patience. You have really, really have to have patience. It's different. B2B is different. You read the order, you complete the order, you've delivered it. Yeah, in volume. In volume. Uh, and it's different as well. In B2C, you're selling individual garments. It basically, it's a shop. Mm. But as a manufacturer yourself, it means that Keith can do the product development and then you can test it, put it on your website. I and mean, is that how you do it? Do you make a small quantity of samples first, make, get it on the website? Yes. We can make as a minimum what we need, a small stock and put it on the website or whatever. Yusuf knows what's happening in the marketing at the moment and what's hot and what's not. And he'll, uh, he'll push us that way. You've got some really nice colours going through, especially yes. for your new women's wear collection. Who chooses the colours or is that dictated by... The yarns that are available from the yarn suppliers it's that you go to. The yarns that are available from the yarn suppliers, but also it's a trend. You keep an eye on what's happening and stuff like this. We don't sit on our hands doing nothing. We can see what's happening at the shows and stuff and see where the colours are going. We don't actually copy, but we just get a feel yeah. as to what direction they're going in. We, we are researching all the time. Constantly in our mind, we look at knitwear. We, know. we could say... We drink, eat, and sleep knitwear. So as soon as we see a knitwear garment, we look, you know, or even we say, right, where's the trend? What, where do we go from here? And we are constantly looking at moving on, developing new styles. And it's in this, the market we're in, we have to constantly bring new styles, constantly. And what we are offering to the customers online is UK made, natural fiber, hard-wearing product, long-lasting, 
not a throwaway society. That's what I don't believe. I, I personally don't believe in a throwaway society. Yeah, we've had this conversation, haven't we, about um, recycled polyester yarn versus wool. Mm. Keith, as, a, as someone that works, you know, as a, has worked with the machines for so long, what you've obviously seen all different types of yarns and fibres come and go in terms of trends and the latest one being the recycled polyester. What are your thoughts on that? Recycled yarns. I can see the reason for having recycled yarns. They're a very difficult thing to knit. Are they? Yes, especially where you've got recycled polyester because all you're basically doing is making something, you recycle it, but it won't go anywhere after that. Yeah. It won't compost down. It's still plastic. You're just moving it for a bit. The problem is still there where with wool, it, if it gets thrown away and destroyed, it can be composted down. It will go yeah. back to where it came from, so to speak. So what do you say to people that say, oh, but wool's a bit itchy? Depends. We A lot of our garments, we find with some of the British wool, people will say it's a bit itchy and we do recommend softness and things, but some wools are itchy. You wear a, If you wear them next to the skin, they will be a bit itchy. But our soft lambs worn are super soft, are beautiful. You can wear them right next to your skin. Didn't feel, I mean, I had a good old feel of everything that was out there. There was nothing that felt, it felt all felt beautifully soft. But you've got a secret finishing process, haven't you? you do, which which is, I wasn't allowed to which film. Is secret, so that's, <laughs> that's, that's stays secret, I'm afraid. There's no the, lips the are sealed main, on that one. Sorry. The main thing with la wool, this, what you could remember is there's two types of wools. There's the British wool, which is, gives you natural fibre. Uh, it's natural anywhere, but British wool is worsted spun. It can, you know, you know, you feel it is harsh, but it's more for walking outdoor, yeah. right? And you can layer it. And, and those garments, the, the sort of garments in, you would have to take into account is make sure you, you make something that you can overlayer. So there's something you can wear underneath. Um, I, we have customers in, in uh, Scotland. We, have, we offer them the normal merino wool, it's a lot more softer. It's still the same arrows, but they don't like it because they prefer the natural British wool. Now, the British wool, we can say to you, it comes from the Suffolk breed wool. Oh, okay. The wool we use comes from the Suffolk breed sheep. Yeah, so you can trace it right back. Yeah, to Suffolk sheep, yeah. So that's what... It's all about provenance these days, definitely. So what are your plans for Mars Knitwear for the future then? Who, who shall I ask first? Keith, are your, what are your plans in terms of product development? No, <laughs> Sid's like, oh no, more samples. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> product development is continuous. We, it's not a case where I can't say what we're actually uh, developing at the moment, but it's just a continuous process for us. It never stops. Mm. Every day I'm doing some form of development or something for the sizing on the machines and things. So it's just an ongoing battle. And who does all of your kind of wearer trials in terms of what, how do you test things out? Who, because you've got women's wear range now, who do you get to do all the, the fitting and the sizing for you? We get models to come in to try them on for us. And normally some of the models we use for photography, yeah. they come in and do a fit first and we, we get sizing from there. Plus we've got so many years of experience, we know what size yeah. fits what. And Sid, your plans, what, what, where, where do you see Mars Knitwear going over the next five to ten years? Where do you see, in the bigger picture, UK knitwear manufacturing going in the next five to ten years? More to the point. This is the only way 
the way we're doing is we like you have to use the natural fiber. The orders are getting smaller and smaller. You want to be in Nitwe? Don't think it's going to be easy. <laughs> it's tough, but you have to have the passion to do it. And you've got to love. You've got to love the product you're manufacturing. Are you going to wear it? If you think you're going to like and you wear it, then you're a Nitwe manufacturer. If you just think, right, okay, I'm just going to make this product, just sell it. No. There's, we've got to say to the customers in UK, look, it's made in UK, it's natural fiber, the product you're buying from us is going to last you. But it doesn't come cheap. Because it's an obvious reason, our wages are higher, the development costs are higher, the yarn costs are higher. Yeah. So the product itself is not a cheap throwaway product. Yes, the biggest issue in UK is getting the skilled staff. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you've got quite a lot of linking machines yes. out there, haven't you? And that in particular. And that, this is where we're going to now move. We have got linking machines. We are moving our production, not abroad, we are moving in-house to minimise the nicketing. Yeah. But the linkers that we do have at the moment, we have trained here. We've managed to get uh, uh, a very experienced lady who has done years and years of linking and she came and trained our girls for us and boys. Brilliant, I love it. So there's, you know, both. And are they younger? Younger than, the, younger than your average linker? Uh, no. Right. Uh, we have tr we, it is difficult to get young people interested in coming into a factory, mm. especially unless they, they, they do have a little bit of a bad reputation. I don't know. I mean, I've, we've just been to another factory this morning and they have actually got a someone that's just graduated this summer. So maybe you should try out the local colleges and see. I think... I think things are changing over the over the last few years in terms of young people, especially with the sort of quality of product that you're producing here. See, when you say a younger graduate, that may be as a designer, because mm -hmm. I employed a young graduate, yes. you know, they've been designers, but they must be mostly be designers, which is a high-end job, again. I'm talking about the shop floor, like linkers, lock stitches, overlocks, you know, cup seamers, knitters, there, that's where the shortage is. Mm. You cannot get a young, born and bred UK young person to come and work in those fields. Yes, we are offering training. We are offering a reasonable salary, a good reasonable salary. But linking, they won't. Why do you think that is? Because you've both said that you both started your careers working on the shop floor. Why do you think that the young people can't see the potential in where it could go, that they one day could have their own factory? Well, the, the, the thing is, in our time, when we started on the shop floor, there was no such thing as call centres. <laughs> right? Why would you work in a call centre rather than a well, knitwear that, factory? That's the mentality of a young person today. Um, because people... When I dealt with top shop, top man, I had young buyers, very young. Yeah, yeah. I had assistants, BAAs and BSCs, you know, like assistants, assistants. And I always used to invite them to come to the factory and say, come and see how a garment is manufactured. And they all were surprised how much 
skill is required to manufacture a garment. Because as you see, if you think, oh, it's a jumper, what do you do? Take a bit of fabric, cut it, sew it together, and put it, and sell it. At the moment, we knit shaped garments, which have got to be knitted to size. When it's put together, you know, you've got to match the sleeves, make sure the quality, make sure the stitches are correct when even linking. So there is, it's, it's quite a skilled job, a skilled operation. And I always invite anyone to see, if they want to come and see a knitwear factory, and how much work that's involved to manufacture a, a knitwear garment. Brilliant, so that's a good one to end on. Is that a call to if anyone wants to come and visit, then they can come to Mars Knitwear and see where all the magic happens? Yes. Yes, they can write Definitely. to us. And yes. Brilliant. Contact us. Contact us. We love it. Total factory transparency. Mm -hmm. Guys, you've been amazing. And thank you, Yusuf, for arranging uh, this little visit today. Incredible. Really enjoyed my tour of Mars Knitwear and meeting you chaps. Uh, and I'll, I'll definitely be up again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Friday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. Many of the interviews that you hear on series four of this podcast are also available to watch on our YouTube channel. You can find it by going to youtube.com forward slash Make It British LTD. That's Make It British with the letters LTD. Bye bye.